Before I preach, I just want to declare a few things uh, over us. There's a lot of new faces in this congregation, a lot of uh, faces that have been around for a while. And uh, because of who we are and who God has, God has called us to be, there's a constant flow of people coming and leaving, and that's a good thing. Uh, but if you're new, you got to kind of understand the family you're swimming with, right? You know what I mean? Like, we have a very specific call. We're called to revival in Appalachia, okay? Whatever that looks like is up to the Lord. We have some ideas of what he's doing, but we're not restraining him to what we want to be done, okay? So, I'm just going to read these. We are a revival community. We expect heaven to invade earth. Wow. We believe prayer and prophecy shifts the atmosphere and brings hope into the hopelessness. Into hopelessness. We believe that our Lord Jesus is a healer physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That the preaching of the gospel is accompanied by signs, wonders, and miracles. We believe that Christ's suffering leads to Christ's glory. Thank you, Lord. We believe that the Lord is refining us as his bride and teaching us authentic community built upon the presence of God. We are committed into going into the darkest places among us to reveal the light of Christ. Despite our differences, our shortcomings, and our failures, we are committed to this and are unified in our call to revival in Appalachia through the planting of house churches and life groups. We believe we are an Antioch Center called to receive and send apostolic leaders to and from the ends of the earth for refreshing, equipping, and supporting the bride. We believe that the Lord uses the weak and the small things of the earth to confuse the self-proclaimed wise and self-righteous to tear down strongholds of the enemy. We say yes to all of this at whatever cost is necessary. And we say thank you, Lord Jesus, for the honor to be called to this. <laughs> thank you, Lord Jesus. What a privilege. Aside from every accomplishment and every achievement we could obtain in life, Lord, that you would call us to such a vision as this, God. To awaken Appalachia. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you and we say thank you. We love you. More, 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 more. Father, we commission every person in here for this call if they choose to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Go to Mark 6. And just keep receiving. If you're receiving right now, I'm not trying to shut off the valve. I'm really not, but we're going to continue with the, the ministering of the word. So if you're experiencing God's his pleasure and joy over your life, if you're feeling him tangibly, don't turn off that valve. Stay in that. Receive the word as you receive him who is the word. Mark 6, verse 1, Jesus moving into his hometown, Nazareth. Jesus left the part of the country he was in and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, 
and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did you get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his home, his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Can you imagine being a part of that crowd and scoffing and becoming offended at the presence of God even as he lays his hands and he heals people because you're unwilling to receive Jesus the carpenter to see Jesus the Messiah? Could you imagine? Now, let me just preface this and let you know that Jesus never established the church for anything less than revival. There was never a, a, a time in, in the life of Jesus where his, his, the premise for starting the church, for building his bride, was I can't wait for 2,000 years to pass so they'll be cold, lifeless, and just go through the motions. Jesus didn't build his bride for anything less than the fullness of what he has to pour out. Did you know that? Jesus' bride was established to be a conduit of all of him being poured out on all the earth. Did you know that? We are here not to do church, but to be the church that reveals the glory of our bridegroom, King Jesus. But in order for that to happen, we need to be willing to receive Jesus the carpenter so we can see Jesus the Messiah. Could you imagine being part of a, a crowd of people who scoff at the Messiah because he's presenting himself in a way that they're not willing to receive as Messiah? It's almost hard to like fathom how people were sitting in the crowd and they were watching him preach. And in one hand, they were saying, my goodness, this man, where did he get all this knowledge? But in the same breath, scoffing and saying, I just can't even receive that. This is Jesus, son of Joseph, the carpenter. How in the world? It says they became offended because God presented himself to them in a way that caused offense. <laughs> Did you know that the, the Lord, that Yahweh, that Adonai is not afraid to offend you in order to reveal himself? In fact, more cases than not, that's exactly what he does because he's not worried about you seeing what he can do, but seeing who he is. And in order for us to see who he is, something in us has to break. So that the box and the construct and the religious framework for how we encounter God does not become the lens of who he is. So Jesus goes home as a carpenter, as Messiah, 
and says, you can receive me, but you've got to get over your offense. It's true. You see, revival is messy. It scares people. It makes people uncomfortable. It causes people to go to places they would not have chose for themselves had they been able to pick how they got there. But God goes, it's okay. Learn to receive me in a way that makes you uncomfortable so you can see me for who I am, not what you want me to do. So God's plan for heaven to invade earth usually offends people, but it's not because God likes to offend. It's because that he knows it's more important that we learn how to chase him and know him at all costs. God will hide himself in humility in order to offend the pride and self-righteousness in us. <laughs> Say that one more time. God will hide himself in humility and the small things of the world to cause offense in us so that we can begin to know who he is. Self-righteousness and pride are huge obstacles in, experience who God, in experiencing who God is. Do you want to know a, a pro tip? If you're part of a church and you're offended at the style of worship or you're offended at the way we pray together or you're offended at any of the ministries you do and they do align with the Bible, then the problem is not with the church you're a part of. It's that you can't get over your offense. And that's not to say that the body can't change, but it doesn't happen from you being offended. All right, moving on. God will purposely look insignificant to the world in order, in order to bring his kingdom into the earth. He does it on purpose. He's not afraid to offend you. Revival is about him and his bride, not us getting what we want. We, in America, we've, we've convoluted what revival is. It, it, we've basically whittled it down to us being blessed more than usual by God. It's not the way it works. But when I give up what I want in pursuit of him, I always end up with more than what I knew I needed. So when I seek the kingdom or pursue revival, I must understand that there's things in me that have to die. There are things in me that are in conflict with the kingdom of heaven that have to be confronted and have to die in order for me to receive what he's doing. Being at, offended at God and his plan is normal. How many of you know it's okay to be offended at God? You don't? It's okay. It's not okay to stay offended at God. See, God would not offend you if it was not okay for you to be offended at him. Jesus would not have went to Nazareth to offend these people if it was not of God to offend people. What's not okay is to stay in the offense. You guys get that? So this is not like, whoa, God would never, yes, he would offend you. And it's for your benefit. It's not so that you'll stay offended, it's so that you'll search for him in midst of the offense and grow in his likeness. Christianity is the only faith where we die to live. 
the only one. You're never going to experience the true life until you experience Christ's death. <laughs> if I can let, learn to let go of me and the concept of God as I see him, <laughs> then I can experience God as who he is. How many of you know we all construct God according to our terms and conditions? We do. We like to build God the way we like to see God. And God goes, you know, that's really cute. I really love your, your whittled down, marginalized version of who I am. That's really a, a beautiful painting. But I'm so much more glorious. I've got so much more for your life. Would you just take your eyes off of yourself and what you've made me to be and see who I actually am? So Jesus, God, invades the earth in the body of a carpenter. <laughs> and the people in his hometown, they, they are like, what in the world? This is amazing. And in the same breath, they're offended because he's a carpenter. So I want to talk today about how we keep our hearts tender to receive what God's doing. How many of you have hearts? <laughs> We've got to pray for some resurrections for some of you that didn't raise your hand. <laughs> Did you know that life causes our hearts to get hard? Did you know that part of coming into salvation is being given a new heart to replace your stony cold heart? And that you have to keep coming to him in relationship via offense sometimes to keep your heart tender and pure. So how do we keep our hearts tender so we don't miss what God's doing among us? So I've got three points about how we keep our hearts tender. The first point is to stay passionate about the process. We need to learn to stay passionate, not just about the goal, but about the process we're in. Did you know God rejoices as much about the process as he does the finished work? He does. I'll prove it to you. In Zechariah 4, how many of you read the, the book of Zechariah? We're reading about the prophet Zechariah right now in the Life Journal. In Second uh, Chronicles, he gets stoned to death for speaking out against Joash. What a brutal way to die, too. That's really hard. Anyhow, Zechariah is prophesying about revival coming to God's people. Right? And he, the, there's a whole book in the Bible called Zechariah. You should go read it. <laughs> and in it, Zechariah is prophesying to a man named Zerubbabel, who doesn't even really know him. But he says this, verse 6, Zechariah 4. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It's really hard to say Zerubbabel without add, adding extra rubbabel. <laughs> Just go on. <laughs> then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain for him and when Zerubbabel sets the final stone in the place the people will shout may God bless it may God bless it 
Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's army has sent me. Verse 10, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So Zechariah delivers this message to Zerubbabel who's building the temple. And he starts off by saying, Zerubbabel, you've got to understand that there's nothing you can do to make this happen. You're a pretty great guy. I love my people of Israel, but your strength and your might is not going to produce what I want to do on the earth. And then he says something really interesting. The Lord rejoices in the laying of the blocks and the holding of the plumb line. What does that mean? God likes the process. We don't really like the process, do we? How many of you, I've said this uh, to Shiloh while my kids uh, were in the, in the room. How many of you remember taking a road trip with your parents? You didn't have the iPads and the headphones and the game systems and the TVs that flipped down from the thing. You had two things, a window and an imagination. <laughs> and I would just stare out that window for whole 24-hour car ride all the way from South Florida to upstate New York and just count the stripes in the road. <laughs> it was terrible. You guys, I mean, it's terrible. It, I'm not bragging. It was bad. Like, I'm jealous of my kids getting to, like, watch an entire movie while we're driving. That's great. Praise God for technology. But do you remember what you said to your dad the entire time you were staring out the window? Are we there yet? And your dad would turn around, shut up. <laughs> he would, wouldn't he? Because our dads are all the same. <laughs> Do you know that Heavenly Father's not like that? In fact, he's looking out the window with you. He enjoys it. He likes the process as much as he likes the end goal. And until we learn to embrace the process, if we don't like sitting in an empty warehouse space as much as the church that God is going to build, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. We are. The process is important to God because this is where we learn to love Him more than what He's doing. This is where we begin to lean into him and say, God, you know, I don't really like this. This isn't fun, but I know you've got so much more for me. So I'm going to lean into you and trust you regardless of how many stripes I've counted. Embracing the process is important. It brings God pleasure to watch you embark on what he's called you to. It's important you see that the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God is celebrating that we said yes. God is celebrating that you're moving in the direction he called you to. He's not even so much worried about where it all ends up. He's just enjoying the fact that the process has begun. Yes. That's encouraging, isn't it? Yes. Are you where you want to be right now? Of course not. Nobody is. I mean, that's, that's self-righteous to believe that you've arrived to where you're supposed to be. But you can rejoice that the Father is rejoicing over you saying, yes, 
goodness, I'm so glad he came into this story with me. It, it's, it's as much fun for him to be with you as it is for you to get where you want to go. Number two, stay thankful for all things. How many of you know God's will for your life? Has anybody got it figured out yet? <laughs> Let me help you. 1 Thessalonians 5. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. There you go. Cheat sheet. <laughs> Your will is fulfilled in thankfulness. God's will is fulfilled in thankfulness. And thankfulness is not just like once in a while saying, you know what? Even though my life is in shambles right now, I just thank you, God. That's good, but thankfulness is a lifestyle. It's learning to position myself even when my life is not where I want it to be in a way where I can say, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not where I'm going to end up, but I thank you that I get to go through this now because I know that if I'm going through it, you're going to use it. And I say thank you to you on the front end so I can better carry it on the back end. Being thankful. How many of you have figured out so far that life is really tough? <laughs> what do you do when life is tough? Do you give thanks? You should. Probably not. I don't all the time. Sometimes I'm like, God gum, I need to fast for 10 days and, you know, go knock on 100 doors and tell people about Jesus so God will change my life circumstances. And the Lord is like, those are good things, but if you'll just walk in a lifestyle of thankfulness, we'll go much further. And then verse 19, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. It's really interesting that that comes after understanding that God's will is to be thankful. Yes. Do you know the quickest way to a cynical heart is to stop giving thanks? When you're not thankful for what God's doing and you hear prophecy, you know what happens? You know, that's no, there's no way. That's stupid. That's not God. You become critical, don't you? I do too. Your heart becomes hard again. It's, it's not fertile ground and the word can't, can't do something new in you because thankfulness has not created a, a place of tenderness in your heart. And you know what happens after time when you just take on a, a lifestyle of bitterness? Wickedness starts to creep its way into your heart. See, thankfulness is not only a lifestyle, it's a safeguard. When I'm thankful, I'm able to discern between what is of God and what is not. When I'm not thankful, I'm more susceptible to deception. Because I'm looking for a way out of the situation I don't like, instead of embracing it and saying, thank you God, that this is a season that you're going to use for something better in my life. But when I'm not thankful, I see a, a, I'll see something nice come into my life and chase it, whether it's deception or not, because I don't know how to be thankful for where I am, and I'm always looking for an out when things get hard. It's difficult to have a hard heart when you're thankful. It's 
especially when you choose to be thankful for things you do not like or understand. Do you have to like everything you're thankful of for? No, of course not. That would be weird. But you can be thankful that God is using it in your life to produce something better than you ever knew. Thankfulness creates understanding for the unknown. Receive that. Thankfulness, if you start being thankful now, it will create understanding and wisdom for the things you don't understand. And then number three, accept not being accepted by the world. Accept not being accepted by the world. For the last 80 so years, the church has tried to become more relevant for the sake of the world. It's not worked. <laughs> and it's not going to work. In fact, the more we lose that, is of what, that which is of God in order to please the culture around us, the more useless we become for the culture. See, the church needs to be a little more weird. Not weird for the sake of being weird. Weird because the kingdom is weird to the people of earth. It is. You know, when Jesus came to that crowd, he knew what the, the response of their heart was going to be, didn't he? He knew he was going to come in there, preach at a level they've never heard, release an anointing they've never received, heal people in a way that they had never seen. And he knew that they would be offended and rejected him, reject him. What of that changed what he was going to do? Nothing. He still went and offended them anyhow. <laughs> you know, there's things here that's going to offend people out there. There's things that I have to do in my life, choices I have to make, things that I'm going to have to reconcile that aren't going to be received in the world around me. But that doesn't give me the right to change on behalf of culture, nor does it give me the right to not go out into culture. <laughs> Man, the church needs to be radical again. The church needs to be radical. This world has no time for a, a, a comfortable, watered-down gospel. There's no time for it. The world needs the church to be the church. Offensive, but healing. Controversial, but true. The world needs the church. Jesus did not change his ministry because it offended people. In fact, it says he still healed lots of people. Could you imagine that? He healed people who were unwilling to believe in him being able to heal people. And it says that he was amazed at their unbelief. You want to know what I want to amaze God for? My faith. I want to be like the centurion. I've not seen faith like this in all of Israel. But in order for me to walk in that kind of faith, I have to be willing to walk in the same kind of humility. So we need to receive Jesus, the carpenter. 
to see Jesus the Messiah. We need to enjoy the process, have thankful hearts, separate ourselves unto the Lord. We need to allow him to offend us so that we can see him. How many of you know that the word carpenter, carpenter there in Mark 6 is a Greek word, tekton? Anybody heard that word before, tekton? The, the type of carpenter, now listen, I'm not ruining your children's storybook of Jesus because he did build wooden things. But how many of you know where Jesus grew up, wood was not really available? Arid. There's not big oak trees growing everywhere in Israel. Right? So Jesus was a carpenter slash tecton. Tecton actually means carpenter, but something a little bit more. It also means home builder. Near Nazareth, in between Nazareth and Sephora, was a big, massive stone quarry. And what tectons would do is they would go dig out these giant, massive stones that were cold, rough, ugly, unappealing, and they would chisel them and break them to be smooth stones that they could stack into houses. So most houses in Nazareth were probably built with a mixture of a lot of stone and a little bit of lumber. So Jesus would have worked a lot with stone as a carpenter slash tecton. Okay, stay with me. He still built like a little rocking horse for kids and, you know, the chair that you, you saw in your, your little children's Bible. He did all that stuff, I'm sure. He used the kaya wood, I'm sure. Okay? So I'm not trying to ruin that. But I'm saying there's more to it. A tecton didn't just build things with wood. He built things with stone as well. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. You're going to like this. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 4. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse 8, and the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Who wrote that? The Holy Spirit, but who did he write it through? Peter. Oh, come on. What was Peter's name before it was Peter? 
Simon. Whew, come on. What does Simon mean? Little thing. You get that? What does Peter mean? Rock, Petra, rock. So Peter understood this in a different degree. You see, Peter knew that Jesus had found him in the darkness, a rough, ugly, cold stone. That Jesus had dug him out of what he knew, broke him, chiseled him, smoothed him, and then placed him into a house to build only what God could build. And Peter saw that and recognized that. He knew Jesus was a tecton, and he understood this was not just for him. It was for all of us. But we have two choices. We can receive him, the living stone, or we can be offended and receive him as a stumbling block. <laughs> you see, you too were like Peter. You were lost. You were dead in the earth. You were a small thing. And the Lord said, I have a plan for your life. But it starts with allowing me to dig you out of what you know, to break you, to chisel you, and to smooth you so I can place you into what you were made for. <laughs> See, all of us were like Peter and are like Peter. Hearts of stone, cold, dead to ourselves, no chance for anything of worth coming into us. But the Lord went out of his kingdom came into your kingdom, dug you out, and is beginning this process of breaking what you call true to build you into the truth. Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Do you think Peter had any idea what he was talking about? Of course not. He betrayed him. But then because Peter had a revelation, Lord, you took me out of my brokenness. For such a time as this, he went back in repentance and the Lord smoothed him out again and placed him into what he was made for. So all of us are called to this. We are. But it starts with understanding that the things in your life that are offensive could be of God. And that if we'll let go of ourselves and allow us to hammer out the rough edges and the coldness so that he can form us into something beautiful, then we can start stepping into what he's made us for. Lord, we ask you would come right now. We ask you would come right now, Lord Jesus, that you would fill this house, this tabernacle with the sweet fragrance of you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us the way you found us. God, you don't leave us the way you found us. God, and sometimes you offend us in order to show us who you really are. Come, Lord. Lord, I ask now anybody here struggling with the process, that there would be revelation knowledge of what you're doing in their life right now. More Lord. God, I ask anybody in here who has taken on a spirit of grumbling and unthankfulness and disappointment and cynicism and, and criticism 
that there would be a breaking right now in the name of Jesus. God, and we would begin to give you thanks for exactly where you've put us. And Lord, I ask that you would make us radical. Consume us with your fire, Lord. Consume us with your fire. Make us radical ones. Ones that you'll send out on fire for the things you have purposed us for. The altar is open. If you struggle with any of these things, please come up and receive deliverance. Deliverance is not a sign of weakness. It's the beginning of victory. But also I believe the Lord wants to baptize people in His Spirit this morning. And I think He wants to do it in a way that you're not used to. Because He has more than what you're used to available for you. So we're going to open up the altar. And if you need healing in any of those places, please come forward. But if you're feeling God's fire right now in your body. If you're feeling His presence touch your body. I want you to come up because he wants to baptize you in his presence in a way you've never experienced before. The altar is open. Let's worship God.